You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thanks be to God. What, this is the word of the Lord. We are thankful, God, for your word to us. We are thankful for five years in this church. Oh, God, we pray that you would help us to number our days rightly, that we might get a heart of wisdom. God, we pray now as we sit under your word that we might be further transformed into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be with you all this evening. Uh, If you are visiting with us this evening, we are glad you are here. We are glad you are here for some coffee and some paletas after. Uh, Stick around if you didn't get one before. We'd love to just get to know you and hang out and mix and mingle. Uh, Well, typically the regular diet of our sermons here is preaching through books of the Bible, uh, allowing God to decide what we need to hear and letting the emphasis of that text inform the emphasis of our sermons and our takeaways. And right now we are preaching through the book of Proverbs. And since the bulk of that book is just standalone, pithy one-liners, we're actually approaching that series pretty topically. So we've considered decision-making through the book of Proverbs. We have considered uh, vocation and work. We've last week considered uh, our words and our speech. Uh, Next week, if you would join us again next Sunday, we're we're gonna be thinking about this topic of friendship. Uh, The Proverbs has a ton to say about the lost art of friendship, uh, which in our culture today is indeed both a lost art, but also I think a lost value, something that we don't value as maybe perhaps as highly as we ought to. This is an incredibly uh, important thing to think about, who we want to be as a church, but then uh, who we might want to be as individuals as well. So join us again next week as we get back to the Proverbs. But for tonight, we are going to consider this one-off, this one-off psalm, Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is all about time. 
marking time, considering time, understanding our place in time. Throughout the Bible, God has his people mark memorable moments in time and urges them to remember these moments of God's faithfulness, to mark time, to consider it, and indeed to understand our place in it. So tonight we're going to briefly consider Psalm 90 in two halves, that God is eternal and we are not. Thinking about time, that God is eternal and we are not. And of course, as we'll consider, for all of us, for one fate or the other, we will live eternally, but Yet we are thinking about God as infinite, as eternal and outside of time. So let's think about that first half together now, that God is eternal. Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses, uh, is all the context we're given. That's all we know. It's a psalm of Moses. But many think that this psalm was likely written in or after Israel's time of wandering in the wilderness, just before they were about to enter the land, the land of promise, which makes verse 1 even more poignant. It hits home a little bit more powerfully if we think of them about to enter into the land of promise, where Moses writes in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That is, not a country, not a land, not a house or a temple, but God himself has been, for this people Israel, their dwelling place for generations. He has created humanity to live in covenant relationship with him and in him, that he is the place of peace. He is the place of security and the place of contentment and meaning. But how is that? How can that be the case if God, this invisible being in whom we cannot see, we cannot understand to be a dwelling place, but yet we can see a house like this? How can that be and how, how is it? Well, even before he spoke the sun, even before he spoke the moon and the stars into existence, even before God brought forth magma and tectonic plates and water and rock and trees that could be turned into wood, before any of that, before the world was created, God is outside of all of this. And this is exactly what Moses says in verse two, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are the place in which we live and dwell and have our being. All of these things, mountains, rocks, rivers, trees, buildings, they are just created things that an uncreated God uses for us, his created beings, to know him, to experience him, to enjoy him, to praise him. Sun, the moon, the stars, they all shout the glory of God, but they are not what or they are not where we are created to know God in. We are created to know God in all things. We are created to know God in him. We were created for God who is eternal and never changing. The same yesterday, the same today, the same forever. And if, when Leslie read Psalm 90, if that wasn't ringing any bells, uh, we sing this song. Do you guys realize this? The 18th century hymn writer Isaac Watts used it for the lyrics of a song that we just sang a few weeks ago together. Uh, We sing, O God, our God, in ages past, our hope in years to come. Age to age, from then to then, you have been, from age to age, you have been a dwelling place for your children. Buildings don't do that. Buildings are built, they crumble, they burn. Our houses, they crumble and burn. Even the mountains may crumble and fall, but God does not. 
He is eternal, he is infinite, and he is for us that we might live in him. God is eternal. But if that is true, then secondly, we are not. Verse three, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as, but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. We are but dust. Or in the book of Ecclesiastes, the metaphor that is often given is we are but vapor. Just like on a cool, brisk morning, we haven't had very many of them yet. And it's mid-November, that's kind of a bummer. But normally, on a time like in mid-November, you could walk out in the morning and really see for a couple of hours your breath. And that is all but our lives. Here, gone, and forgotten. If God is outside of and is spanning over and beyond all of these billions of breaths of air, the lives of we humans are small and short lives, then that is indeed our short and small lives compared to the one who was over and exists then, then, and then. Verse 5, you sweep them away, our small lives, as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Now, none of this is to say that human life is insignificant by any means, that your life is insignificant, that the life of this church is insignificant. Other Psalms are clear that he has knitted you personally, every single one of us, he has knitted you personally together with intentionality within your mother's womb. He knows you, your thoughts, your dreams, your anxieties, your hopes, your fears. And yet what is man that God is mindful of us. It's incredible. The eternal, infinite one still knows and thinks about and understands and loves we humans. Who am I that you would know and care for me? But we must always understand God is infinite first. That we do not place the emphasis of significance on the wrong character here. We understand ourselves rightly, created in the image of God. You are cosmically significant. Created in the image of God, who knows you by name, you are cosmically significant. But here, gone and forgotten, you are cosmically insignificant. Significantly insignificant is your life. Significantly insignificant is the life of our church. It may be that 500 years from now, if there are people still living in Albuquerque, uh, this church might still exist. I don't know. Most of the most important churches in church history do not last pi- past 500 years. So it's, I'd say, probably a better chance that this church will not be here 500 years from now. May it be so. Praise God for his faithfulness, if it is. But this church is actually insignificantly or significantly insignificant. What we do here today matters, and yet in the grand scheme of things, this church is really insignificant in the life of our city. There are many other churches that are doing wonderful work in preaching the gospel and serving the community and caring for one another, but certainly in, the, uh, in regards and relative to the rest of the world. What is this church relative to the rest of the kingdom of God on, on earth? Certainly in the last 2,000 years. And yet this work, this church is important for us, for the relationships we have in town, and yet insignificant. 
And so after considering God's good and just wrath that had dealt with sin, that had dealt with treason and wickedness in the, in the wilderness, this is what, I think this is what Moses is thinking about when he's talking about God's judgment in Psalm 90 is all of the rebellion in the wilderness. Moses then says in verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Even a relatively long and full 70 or 80 year life is here, gone and forgotten. A vapor that just dissipates and disappears. But this is why God must be our eternal dwelling place. One who does not dissipate, disappear, evaporate, one who does not wither and is not forgotten, one who is significantly significant, eternally, that we might dwell in him from generation to generation. 500 years from now, perhaps our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, may it be who are still praising the name of the Lord, may or may not be at a place in a gathering called Christ Church, but they will be gathering with some church under the name of Christ, who is eternal. And in case the people of Israel were a little unclear on what it means to dwell in God, well, God the Son comes calling and inviting in John 15, urging all who would listen to abide in him, to live in him, that he might be their dwelling place for generation to generation. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I will abide in you. Like a branch who is attached to a tree, it's hard to say where the tree ends and the branch begins, right? Could you walk into a tree? Walk up to a tree in your backyard with like a pencil and point to the point where the tree ends and the branch begins? No, it's like just one thing. Apart from the life-giving oxygen and sap that the tree passes along to its branches, there is no spiritual life in you, in us, apart from the God who gives life. When our lives are anchored to the one who is beyond creation, beyond time, now there is eternal life. There is eternal significance. And so Jesus invites us to abide in him. He will be the place of our dwelling place from generation to generation as he has been from age to age. So in considering all of these things, Moses prays on behalf of the people. He says in verse 12, so teach us, considering all of these things, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. That we only have 70, 80 years, maybe. That as sure as everyone has a birthday, every single one of us has a death day as well, and every day that you get further away from your birthday, each of us gets closer to our death day. That is a reality. That knowledge ought to bring us to a place of sober wisdom, of understanding who we are, significantly insignificant, in the place and in light of who God is, eternally, significantly significant. Each day is a gift from the Lord. And so verse 14, he prays, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. He's asking, help us as your people, O God, to be satisfied in you. Be satisfied in the glorious cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be satisfied in the life of God by his spirit. And this brings meaning today. This brings meaning to today. There's a sense in which we as Christians perhaps ought to hear uh, Mr. Keating's voice from Dead Poet Society whispering in our ears like, Carpe diem, cease the labor. 
seize the day. There is a sense in which that's true because tomorrow is not guaranteed. There is a real sense in which we ought to seize the day and consider today as a gift from the Lord. And if it is a gift from the Lord, then we ought to use it and suck the marrow out of it. There's there's truth in that. Today really matters to who we are becoming. Today really matters as a day that God might make more of his kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven through us. Today is a day that matters, a day of small encouragements to people who are hurting, small encouragements to people in this room who are hurting, a a day of small prayers that God might use for his eternal glory, a day of small conversations that might bring people to believe in Christ from death to life. And yet, at the very same time, we don't just make a business plan for this church. A business plan for tomorrow to see this thing blow up and get huge. A business plan for this year. Perhaps even a five-year plan. Convince ourselves that we are really, really important and that God needs our church to accomplish his purposes. Now, we ought to think with intentionality. But God does not need any one of us and he does not need Christ church to accomplish his purposes. But the reality that he has invited us into his purposes is just unbelievable. Five years ago, right now, not in this building, but across the street, uh, five years ago, we had our first public service together and we considered another text from Moses, that of Exodus 33, in which God came to Moses. If you don't know the story, it's a really crazy story. God comes to Moses and tells Moses that because of the idolatry of the people, God would send them into the land, but God would not go with them. God had just told the people that since it appears that all they want is a peaceful and quiet life, a plentiful place to call their own, they can just have the thing that they want. If that's all they want, he'll give it to them. Which seems great, doesn't it? No more worrying about what to eat or drink. No more being fearful of this army or that on this side of us or that. No more slavery, no more wandering, just rest. And so we considered five years ago, would we take that deal? Would we as a church, would you as an individual take that deal? If God promised you as an individual to give you a six-figure promotion in a job that you'd never have to worry about losing, in a job that you didn't really have to work very hard in, if he gave you your dream house, if he gave you your dream spouse and your dream children, along with acclaim and recognition and approval from those who know you. Only the deal is you'll never hear from God again. You'll never experience his nearness again. Would you, would we take that deal? What does our worship of these kinds of created things indicate about what we want from God? Do we want him or do we want the good gifts that he gives? Perhaps that proposal sounds a little too like a sell your soul type stuff. And you wouldn't take the salary, you wouldn't take the house or the acclaim. So the question I asked all of us as we planted this church five years ago is, what if in five years from now, this building was just packed to the gills? We had to turn people away. Perhaps even so packed that we had to plant a new church or two. That we had sent 10 to 12 or 15 or 20 
international workers out into the world to unreached people groups. We had increased our budget significantly each year. We had been able to give significant amounts of money to North Africa and to local ministries and the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. Basically, everything that we hoped to have seen from this church five years ago, if he accomplished all of it and more, only the Lord says to us, you can have all that, but I'm not coming. I told you then that that offer sounds really tempting. Because the reality is that about a third of all church plants don't make it past their fourth year, making church planting a riskier venture than opening a restaurant. But we've considered if in five years, with a packed building, if God is not with us, then we will have been a failure, not a success. We will not be much better than the Israelites who are enjoying each other at religious ceremonies, but all of it will be idolatry. If we want God only because he is useful to us to, or useful for us to accomplish our purposes, then it is not God that we want, it is ourselves. Now, praise the Lord, he has come with us, amen? Hearing you say amen that way, it was great! Amen. We could share story after story after story of God's faithfulness to us as a people over the past five years. Story of salvation, stories of transformation, stories of belonging, encouragement. But I don't think any of us in 2016 had a mental or imaginative category for 2021 of the politics and culture wars, of deepening racial strife and COVID, five years ago seems like an eternity ago. Five years ago seems like yesterday, and it also seems like an eternity. So here we are, five years later, with much, much to be thankful to God for, to be praising God for. And I did not intend for this five-year anniversary sermon to be like a downer. But guys, let's refocus Let's refocus. This is a good time to do so. We're not playing church here. Do you believe that? We're not just playing church. The eternal triune God of the universe has made himself known to us. The second person of the triune God, God the Son, has entered time and space by taking on flesh to live and die for us and to be raised to new life for us. Every word of that last sentence that I just said is bananas crazy. Wildly nuts. And it's true. And this God-man, Jesus Christ, has lived righteously and died on a Roman cross for you with your name, with your sins in his hands and on his heart. He died in your place. After three days, he inhaled new breath and came to life, walked about, ascended to heaven, and after he ascended, the Spirit of God descended. The third person of the triune God came to gather and to unite a people. Not individuals, but a people. And not all individuals who thought the same or looked the same or loved the same or lived the same, but a remarkably different people that he would unify so that through their difference he might exhibit and spotlight the unity of God. Exhibit in spotlight the blood of Christ, the Spirit of God, 
Here's what Jesus prayed for in John 17 before his death. This is what he prayed for his people. This is what he prayed for us. John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, those in front of him, but also for those who will believe in me through, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Guys, this is not like hypothetical. It's not just sociologically true of us. Like all of us come from an, a sociological, understandably predicted uh, reality that, of course, we might gather in a place like this. No. We, this church, are the spiritual household of God. Us dwelling together in him and he and us. Real life stuff here. Not pretend. Real life stuff that works through conflict and disagreement that gives us meaning and purpose that we might be satisfied in his steadfast love. This is his prayer for us. Moses' prayer for his people in Psalm 90 that we might be satisfied in his steadfast love, that we might be glad throughout affliction. The people of God united to one another as we are united to him. And if he is not with us, if we are not beholding his glory, knowing his glory, being transformed by his love and moving toward one another in that love, then we are nothing more than a social club. This is a, good, this is a pretty good social club. But there's really not much difference in what we're doing than the Rotary or the Kiwanis Club. So if that does it for you more than this, then just do that. We are not a social club. We're the household of God transformed and united by the spirit of the triune God of eternity past and eternity forward. We are Christ's church, the bride of our glorious Savior, Savior, the very God of very God. And so our response then can't be, well, okay, five years, let's just refocus and get serious. Or let's refocus and get more serious than we have been or get serious for the first time or something like that. Instead, let's renew our focus on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who knows every one of your heartbeats and every one of your vapored breaths, counting them, knowing them intimately and personally, the Lord of heaven and earth. Your frustrations are real. Your anxieties are real. Your longings are real, your discontentments are real, but the places that we tend toward going in our imaginations that if only this or that would change, then these anxieties or these discontentments would go away, those aren't real. That's not real. Circumstances changing will not bring peace to your soul because if you're really honest, you weren't as content or joyful in 2016 as you think you were. Well, maybe if you were deeply abiding in Christ Jesus in 2016, perhaps now you aren't, maybe that is real. But I've told several of you in the past couple of weeks, even in the last seven days, I've said this a couple of times. I said that I kind of want to just wake up and it be 2023. Have you felt that? I don't think that's right. And if you heard me say that, let me take it back. Our eternal God is shaping and molding us today in 2021. Perhaps exposing our false hopes, perhaps exposing our false idols, for what they are, sometimes pruning hurts. 
but on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And what is Moses' last request in verse 16? He says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses is asking before the people enter the land, not only be with us, but do this work. Establish it. Make it last for your glory. May that be our prayer as well. That the Lord would establish the work of our hands. And what is the work of our hands? Love. Love. Beholding him in love. Becoming like him in love. Passion for God. Compassion for people. Living out and inviting in. Considering the needs of others to be more significant than our own. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Let the Amen sound from his people again. Can we do that? Let the Amen sound from his people again. Amen. I can't wait for five more years with you all. You shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Many more five-year anniversaries with you all of real and dynamic life together, unified by the blood of Christ. When I hear you all give this kind of encouragement to me, man, I get excited. I'm I'm really excited for life together with you all. Uh, United by the blood of Christ, animated by the spirit of Christ, growing in love for each other, growing in love for the world around us. I'm pumped for today, for tomorrow, for five years from now, when we're all gone from here, 70 or 80 years, however many days the Lord gives us, might we use them well for his glory. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we might get a heart of wisdom. Let's pray that it might be so. Our triune God, we are just in a place of humility, in a place of recognizing our finitude in a place of recognizing our very smallness. But yet, God, we are so encouraged. We are so um, excited. We are so worshipful that you might know us, that you would know us, that you would call us by name, that you would give life to us, that you would fill us individually with your spirit, and that you would unite us together as your people by your spirit. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. We're thankful for that. Help us. Help us to be satisfied by your love in the morning. Help us to have, in times of affliction, that we might be glad. Make us glad. And we pray that we might do all of these things. To love one another, to love the outside world more, to consider the needs of others to be more significant than our own, all of these things that we might share boldly, that we might pray in humility. We might do all of these for the glory of Christ our King, the eternal rock of ages, who was and is and will be our King. To him alone be glory and honor. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. 
For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.